For a Christian, there is one day of the year that stands out above the rest. A day that everything changed. Then three days later, it all changed again. A time when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This season has been commemorated throughout church history. A season of remembrance. A season of drawing near. Where believers of all kinds laid down something to the feet of Jesus and reflect on the total sacrifice He gave for us. In this season, we draw near to God because He first drew near to us. Join us as we celebrate the season of Lent. Well, welcome everybody. This is week number two in our series on Lent, Drawn Near to God. You know, I, I grew up and, uh, you know, our faith tradition didn't really accommodate Lent, and uh, so uh, it's been kind of a newer area of focus for me personally in my own walk with Christ. And I think probably one of the reasons is, you know, you kind of get in your mind uh, the notion that it's just kind of empty ritual and uh, empty religion and, you know, really doesn't matter that much. But you know, when you stop and think about it, almost anything we do can be empty ritual. You can be here on a Sunday morning and basically say, I'm not listening, uh, I'm not participating, I'm closing my heart to God, I'm not concerned about what the Bible says, and that can be empty ritual. You know, we can, we can do all sorts of things in the name of our religion, but if our heart isn't in it and we're not surrendering at every turn to Christ, it can be empty ritualism. Lent can be a very powerful, powerful opportunity for us to take 40 days leading up to Easter to prepare our heart and mind to really center and lock in on Jesus Christ. And we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about uh, the disciplines of prayer and fasting and giving and serving and silence and solitude, all the ones that we looked at last week. And so I want to encourage you to just really open your heart and say, Lord, I want to maximize, I want to leverage Lent to lift my faith and buoy my faith and uh, uh, surrender in you. Now, uh, you know, we talked last week about Lent, and uh, on the website that Caleb alluded to, there's a list of disciplines of engagement and disciplines of exclusion, as well as many study questions, a daily prayer throughout the entirety of Lent, just some great, great things there, including some uh, uh, study questions for small groups and personal uh, uh, study. So make sure you check that out. Join me on Facebook as each day, uh, each morning, I'm sharing a uh, Lent devotional and would love for you to participate in that as well. Now, think for a moment about God's vision for your life. Just think for just a moment. What is God's vision for your life? His desire is that you and I live, love, and lead like Jesus. His desire is that we conform to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. His desire is that we be just like him. But if we're going to live the life Jesus lived, we need to practice the habits Jesus practiced. We need to practice these spiritual disciplines so that they bend our nature to the nature of Christ because left to our own devices, we're going to be very carnal, we're going to be very human, we're going to be very self-centered. So I want you just to think for a few moments about what it means to live, love, and lead like Jesus, and to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, a lot of people these days kind of live out their spiritual life on an emotional roller coaster. It's all about emotions. You know, I need to be kind of picked up, and then if I'm down, I'm down, and then I need to get back up again. And, and it's all about emotions. And emotions are important, but, but if you study the New Testament, so much of discipleship is about willful obedience. It's not dependent on how we feel, it's dependent on the fact that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And some of the verses that just really inspire me along these lines are verses like Luke 9, 23. If anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. Self-sacrifice is the message there. Or Luke 2.52, as we talked about last week, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He grew. He didn't stay status quo. He kept growing. If Jesus needs to grow, I need to grow. And then how about Romans 12, 1 and 2? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God, help my mind be transformed into the very mindset that you have and that you desire for me. How about Colossians 1, 28? We're to all be presented mature in Christ. How can we be more Christ-like, more obedient, more godly? A disciple is a follower. How can we follow Jesus more readily? and uh, completely. And then the verse we looked at last week just really uh, resonates with me. Paul looked at the early uh, followers of Christ and said, I'm amazed how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. The fact he connected those two thoughts really, really spoke to me because discipline and spiritual discipline has a lot to do with how firm our faith is. Now, if you weren't here, I do need to lay this foundation. This was the foundational scripture that uh, I'm asking everybody to memorize over these 40 days. And uh, it's a powerful scripture in James chapter 4, 7 through 10. Notice underlined are 10 imperatives. In the Greek, these imperatives are action words. We need to do these things. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Come near to God. Wash your hands. Purify. Grieve. Mourn. Wail. Change. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, I've taken those 10 imperatives and really consolidated them into really five priorities for you and me this Lent. And the first one is we need to submit ourselves to God. That recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is king, I'm not. I live my life to obey him. I live under his lordship, under his authority, and my desire is to be the person he wants me to be. I need to submit, surrender myself to God, and I need to do that on a regular daily basis. Over and over again, Lord, you are king. You are king of my life. The second is really recognizing the principle of power. Even though Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says greater is Jesus who's in me than Satan who's in the world, amen? And so no matter what Satan attempts to do, no matter what temptation looms up within us, no matter where we tend to drift or distance ourselves from God, the Lord wants us to know that his power is greater than any power in the world. And whatever we're facing, we can count on him, we can depend on him to be there for us and to help us through. And then really, uh, the the principle of purpose, come near to God, come near to God. Uh, That's the whole idea that we're promoting here during Lent. We want to draw near to God through spiritual disciplines, through prayer, through fasting, through Bible memory, through Bible study, through community, through serving, uh, through worship, and on it goes. Come near, press in, step in, lean into God more and more than you normally would. And then turn from sin, you know, repentance, turn from sin. What is going on in your life that is unpleasing to the Lord? What sinful habit, one sinful attitude, what relationship is askew, what needs to come before the Lord and and, and be set at his feet and say, Lord, forgive me, take this from me. I want to live for you, I want to follow you. I want to turn 180 degrees, I want to repent and then humble yourself, selflessness. Lord, I want to live a life of service to you. Uh, Jesus Christ humbled himself. He humbled himself even as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Powerful things to think about. Today's message is going to zero in on Matthew chapter 6 as we 
uh, kick off really kind of the next three weeks looking at the greatest Lent sermon ever, ever preached by Jesus himself. You Google Lent and you will find over and over again different people say, well, Lent's all about praying and fasting and giving. Well, that's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6. And as we look at our lives during Lent and evaluate where we're on track with Christ and where we need to get on track with Christ, we must take a look at these three. And today we're going to start with giving and then we're going to move into some of the others in the weeks to come. Now in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus talks about giving. And in verses 19 to 24, Jesus talks about giving. But I want you to notice something very interesting about prayer, about giving, and about fasting. The three things Jesus talks about. To Jesus, these were the ABCs of discipleship. This, this was not graduate course material. This wasn't 501, 601 type material. This was 101. He says, when you fast, when you pray, when you give, he doesn't say if you do it. He says when you do it. He's counting on us. He's depending on us to fulfill the essential basics of Christian discipleship. As a follower of me, you're going to pray. As a follower of me, you're going to fast. And as a follower of me, you're going to give. That's how it goes. That's what we're about, Jesus said. Uh, as, as Christians, as disciples of me. And so I think that's really, really, uh, really interesting and, and powerful. Remember what I said a little earlier, spiritual disciplines bend my nature to the very nature of Christ. And that's what I just want us to think about. Today we're going to talk about giving, and this is not a message on raising money, it's about raising discipleship. It's about having the heart attitude of Jesus Christ. And throughout this message, I want you to ask the question over and over again, are Jesus' attitudes that he shares here in Matthew 6 the same ones I espouse? Where am I missing what Jesus is getting at? Where do I need to make some course correction? You see, I mentioned a little earlier that as I, I, I bend toward the nature of Christ, I practice certain disciplines that do that bending. I give. I am generous. I practice frugality and simplicity, to fight off greed and materialism and hoarding. How do you beat materialism? How do you beat greed? How do you beat uh, the attitude of hoarding? By giving, by sacrificing, by being generous, by living a simple life. I want you to think about the very attitudes that Jesus Christ is communicating here. And uh, I call this Jesus' best practices on giving. I might kind of restate it. You know, it's, it's Jesus' attitude about money. It's attitude about money. What does Jesus think about money? And the first thing that I want you to notice is money is a very personal issue. Would you agree with that? I think everybody would agree with that. You know, get out of my wallet, stay away from my money. How many times have you said that, you know, to the government or anybody else? Of course, you'd never say that to Pastor Rob. But, uh, um, you know, it's personal. And Jesus says right here, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people to be seen by them. In this day and age of selfie and social media and look at me, look what I'm doing, Jesus says when you pray, do it in secret. When you give, do it in secret. When you fast, do it in secret. Don't take a selfie. Hey, look at me praying with people. Hey, here's a selfie. Look at me, you know, giving all this money. Hey, here's a selfie. Look at me. And I look drawn and, you know, white and ashen because I'm fasting here for the next, you know, 500 days. You know, don't do that. It's personal. It's between you and me. The Bible says each one should decide in his heart what to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Decide. Are you going to do what Christ wants you to do with your money, or are you going to go rogue and do your own thing? It's really that simple. It's a personal choice. It's a matter of conviction. It's a matter of devotion. It's a matter of commitment. It's a matter of faithfulness. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the amount. I'm talking about the attitude of money. It's personal. It's, it's deeply, deeply personal. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, in our church family have, through the years, become just extraordinarily faithful in their giving. And, you know, would practice giving the Lord's tithe. That first 10% immediately goes to the Lord. Um, we live on 90, and we give 10 percent uh, as a part of generosity and giving and fighting off greed and hoarding. Uh, we, we can debate what the amount should be. The Bible says 10 percent. That sounds like pretty generous on the Lord's part. He could ask for 20. But the Bible also talks in Matthew 6 about almsgiving. And many of us have taken up the practice of almsgiving. In fact, as a church, we have become so passionate about almsgiving, we developed an entire ministry, purchased a building, and have grown about 35 different ministries to reach out to our community. We call it the Bethany Compassion Center because almsgiving is about feeding the poor, reaching out to the needy, reaching out to the less fortunate, the under-resourced in our community. And I love that so many of us give on a regular monthly basis to the BCC to help people have food and shelter, and those kinds of things that we always take for granted. And next week is Mission Sunday, and we're going to talk about making a missions pledge, and many of us have made a monthly missions pledge because we believe that Christ has called us to go into all the world and make disciples. And so we either go ourselves or we give to send missionaries to go. And so we're involved in giving that way. And you say, well, that's a lot of giving. I don't do any of that. Well, I'm asking you to pray about what does Christ want you to do? He doesn't want you to not give. He wants you to give. And so how are you going to do it? I want to challenge you here over the course of the next 40 days to try a tenth. 10% of your increase, whatever you bring in, give that to the house of the Lord. And then beyond that, I would encourage you, and I know this is impossible for some, but maybe not for everybody. In fact, I know it's not impossible for everybody. Um, you know, give to the BCC, give to the poor. Make a contribution to the alms. You say, well, I'd like to you know, give to the local food bank. Go for it, go for it. We're talking about raising discipleship. You know, find a, a need and meet it, the poor and disenfranchised. And then give to missions so that people in the far corners of the globe who have not received an adequate witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ may hear about the Savior, amen? So the attitude is so deeply personal. And I want to encourage you to think about that a little bit. What is it that God wants me to do? Secondly, Jesus says, your giving should be planned. It should be planned. When you give to the needy, verse 3, but when you give to the needy, in other words, it's not a matter of, you know, occasionally you might think about doing it once. No, it's when you do it, as you do it. It's a planned thing. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 16.2, and he says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Planned giving, you know, that's an idea we see over and over in the, in the New Testament. And what I love about planned giving is it's proportional, it's, it's a percentage, uh, and it's persistent. 
you know, it's, it's consistent, it's ongoing, it's persistent, and it's proportionate in the sense that, at, that the Lord instructs us to give the tithe, 10%. So if you make a lot, your 10% is going to be more. If you make very, very little, that 10% is going to be relatively small. And I think that's genius. If God wouldn't have come up with that idea, I think I would have. It's a fantastic idea. I mean, talk about fair and equitable. And it, it's more about, you know, the percentage, the proportionate number. But here's the thing I want to continue to go back to. Giving, generous giving, sacrificial giving, bends our nature to the very nature of Christ. You will find no one more giving and sacrificial than Jesus. But left to our own devices, we'll be greedy, we'll hoard, and we'll be materialistic. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you get more money? It's not how much more I can give, it's what new thing can I acquire? No, acquiring things isn't bad in and of itself, but if it comes at the expense of following the attitude of Christ in giving, then something is off. Something is askew. One of the beautiful things I love about being a part of the local church is we can work together. We can bring our tithe and help build this building and you know, put together a staff and build ministries that can be a blessing to our community. When we give uh, alms, we can uh, work together to uh, reach out through 60,000 acts of compassion every year through the Bethany Compassion Center. When we give to missions together, together, none of us individually, but together, we can support 80 missionaries and all their projects, plus five global church partnerships that we're going to celebrate here this coming Saturday night. It's amazing what we can do together as we all join together in the spirit of generosity, in the spirit of sacrifice. The third type of giving that really jumps out to me, actually, before I jump into that, I've got a, uh, I got a little fun thing that I want to share here. I've never really done this before, but I, I thought this week this would be great. I uh, saw a couple, three weeks ago, Michael Jordan on his 60th birthday gave $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. My birthday's tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought I would do the same thing, except there's one problem. And you guessed it. I don't have $10 million. But I do have a plan where you can help me celebrate my birthday. I've never asked for birthday gifts before, but I've chosen to make an exception here today. I want to invite you to give, not me, actually, but give a birthday gift to the Bethany Compassion Center on my birthday. Yesterday, I went to my BCA app, I downloaded the giving section, and I gave $63 gift to myself to the BCC. So you might be here and say, you know, I can do that. You know, I like Rob. He's a kind of a cool dude. He's 63. He doesn't look a year older than 62. Um, I know what you're thinking. Or maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, 63, I can actually do more. I'm going to give $100 because I want him to have a very long life. Maybe you want to give $100. Well, the reality is, I don't know that I want to live 100 years, but thank you for that thought. Some of you may say, I don't really quite have 63, but, you know, Rob looks so young, I'm going to give $25. He looks just, he basically, he looks 25. He's got the energy of a 25-year-old, the enthusiasm of 25. He basically, I'm going to give $25. And then there's the rest of you, and I know you by name. You will give $5 to basically say your humor is childish, you're infantile, you need to grow up. I'm giving you $5 because you are a five-year-old. Well, the BCC will take your $5, 
and uh, it'll be beautiful. But I want you to think about that. This is called plan giving. You've got to make a plan. Either do it right now. Some of you are on your phone anyway. You might as well go over to the BCA app. <laughs> Come on. You're on your phone anyway. Go over to the BCA app. Push the give button. Boom. You know, or take your friend's phone and give in their honor, okay? Whatever it takes. But we're talking about Matthew 6 and almsgiving. I can't think of a better thing to do than all of us come together. Imagine if 100 people gave 63 that'd be $6,300 to feed the poor in our community. Put your hands together and celebrate that. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and I know those of you that are getting five bucks, I can name you off right now. Number three, purposeful. Verses 20, excuse me, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Wow. The things of earth are going to pass away. We know that. The gadgets we buy, you know, the sports equipment we love, you know, all the things that, you know, we value in life, that's going to pass away. But what's never going to ever pass away? People. People. People live forever. And your investment and my investment in people matters so much to the heart of God. And God wants to help us get our attitude on track with his attitude. And to make sure that we are people with a purpose, on purpose, being purposeful with our financial resources. Again, this is not a money-raising experience except for the fun birthday idea. It's more of a discipleship. It's more of a people rate. How can I have the attitude? As we go through Lent, how can I practice the spiritual disciplines of giving, generosity, and sacrifice so that I can become more like Christ? I want to say thank you to BCA as a church family for your faithful, faithful giving. As we'll be sharing in our annual meeting in just a few moments, as we'll be sharing next uh, Saturday night at the banquet, uh, you know, it's just amazing, the faithfulness of this church family in giving week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. Obviously, obviously, so many within our church family have come across these attitudinal principles long before today and have put those into act, active practice. And I want to encourage all of us to enjoy the joy of giving and walking in alignment and devotion to Jesus Christ in this way. There is no greater investment in the entire world. I don't care if you're talking about Fidelity, Vanguard, or anybody else. There's no greater investment in the entire world than to invest in the kingdom of God. To invest in that which will last for all eternity. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you budget Jesus in the center of your giving. The fourth principle is principled. <laughs> I kind of uh, jumped, uh, jumped the point there a little bit. But verse 21 asks the question, is my giving principled? Jesus said, be, be about the principle of giving. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. You could also say where your heart is, that's probably going to be where your treasure is. Think about that. Think about it both ways. The question is, what's dominating your heart? I would venture to say many could look at their finances and you could make a determination what's most important to you. 
if you haven't started with giving to God first, if that's not the centerpiece and everything works around that, you've really missed Jesus' primary attitude about giving. It starts being God-centered. And then whatever we have left over, you know, we, we can expend other ways. Obviously, food and clothing and shelter and all those things come into play there. But, but I'm talking about beyond that, expending money on our hobbies and our interests. I talk to people all the time. Well, I can't give. I can't give. And, uh, you know, I know that they're stacked to the, you know, the eyebrows in debt, leveraged to the hilt with all the, the gadgets and things they've accumulated. You know, stuff is not necessarily bad, but if it comes at the expense of putting Christ first, then it is bad. And so this really is a challenge throughout Lent to stop and take stake of where we're at. And I would encourage you to make every Wednesday an Ash Wednesday over these 40 days and make it a time of repentance. God, where am I drifting? Where am I off track? Is it in the regard to giving or money? How can I come clean in that area? You know, practice the spiritual disciplines of uh, exclusion every Wednesday. And maybe the spiritual gifts of engagement every Sunday. God, what can I practice to bend my nature toward the nature of Christ, like giving and generosity and sacrifice and frugality? For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Build a budget with Christ at the very core of it. Kind of goes back to planning a bit. And then ask yourself this question. This is a question Lisa and I have asked ourselves throughout the years. What am I sacrificing so I can give? What would I like to acquire, but I'm not going to, so that I can give that to others? The work of the Lord, the church, the missions program, the BCC, whatever the case may be. I think this is a question that is very uh, powerful in all of our lives, and probably some of us more than others. I think some kind of have the gift of giving. The Bible even talks about that. Others, it's a spiritual discipline that needs to be built in over time. We don't emotionally drift into it. We proactively step toward it. And what that means to you and what that means to me may be a little bit different, but I think this question is a powerful, what am I giving up over here? I'm not spending this 500 bucks on this thing here, whatever it is, and I'm purposely not mentioning things because that's really not the point. I'm purposely not buying that thing so I can give that same amount of money, you know, 50 bucks a month to support a missionary, whatever the case may be. It's an important question. If I'm going to have the heart of Christ in the area of generosity and giving, and none of us here probably would say that we're, you know, the second coming of Mother Teresa, but we all can grow in giving, right? We all can grow in generosity, and I would imagine all of us would want to grow in that regard to become more and more like Christ. I can't give tithes or alms to the poor. I can't support missionaries because you know, I've got all these financial obligations. Well, how could we right-size that and put ourselves in a better position to have the attitude of giving that Jesus has? The final point is priority and I close with this Jesus says you can't serve two masters you either serve God or money and so Jesus is asking you and me the question here today who are you serving me or money that's a pretty powerful question Jesus says decide me or money you can't serve both 
You say, well, I'm not serving money. Well, do you give? Well, no. I'm not making money my idol. Well, what are you sacrificing? Well, not really anything. You know, money isn't the most important thing in my life. Well, if you itemize deductions, go to your Schedule E, go to the bottom where it says contributions, and just take a look at that and see if that's really where you want to be. Ask the Lord if that's where he wants you to be. Ask the Lord what changes need to happen in you so that God can bring change through you to bless other people. Stuff of this world doesn't last. People last forever. How can we invest more and more into people? So I want you this Lent to leverage Lent to work on the spiritual disciplines of sacrifice and frugality and generosity and giving and loving and caring and just building that into your life so it can flow through your life. Try a tenth. Give to the poor. Make a missions pledge. Do one, do two, do three. Ask God, Lord, how can I practice spiritual discipline of giving and generosity so that my nature can bend to the nature of Christ. Lord, I thank you today for this incredible church family. So many are so far down this road, uh, and is always the case, uh, others are just kind of brand new to it and just trying to figure it all out. And so that's why these kind of messages uh, are important for us to look at on a regular basis. So we all can get on the same page and give some real deep, deep personal thought to what it means to have the heart attitude of Jesus and to have the same attitude about money that Jesus does. Money is a tool that can be used for good. But more importantly, our heart attitude, Lord, needs to be shaped and molded into the shape and mold of Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as a church family. I pray for every one of us starting with myself, that we will grow in generosity, we will grow in giving, we will grow in sacrifice. Would you take a moment right now and just ask the Lord, Lord, how can I grow in generosity? You maybe have been asking yourself that question all message long, but if not, go ahead and ask yourself that right now. What's kind of the next step for me? Maybe you already tithe, maybe you already give uh, to the poor, maybe you already uh, support missionaries. But you're just feeling in your heart that you want to become more generous, more sacrificial. Or maybe you're just getting started. What's the first step? It's personal. Between you and God, make it a matter of of great devotion. Dive in with both feet and bring glory to Christ. How your discipleship reflects the vision he has for your life. If you're here today and you've not committed your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that. That's where it all starts. Just simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. And if you pray that prayer of commitment, please, please tell me about it. Fill out that connection card online, or if you're here, the one right in front of you and in the chair in front of you, drop it in the black box as you leave. I would love to reach out to you with some helpful, helpful resources as you grow in your newfound faith. We love you, Lord, and we devote our entire life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together. I'm going to invite uh, the online host and our uh, traditions host pastors to lead in those services. Our prayer team's going to come forward, and we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to be dismissed. But uh, if you have a special prayer that you'd like someone to pray with you about, maybe you'd like to stand in with uh, our prayer team with regard to someone near and dear to you. We really would love to pray with you. Let's sing this final song, and then we'll be dismissed in just a moment. God bless you, everybody.